As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at BTE Racing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... Bo Kenny and Mike Boehner. Joining me today on the podcast, National Dragster Senior Editor Kevin McKenna. If you've been a longtime listener, relatively frequent listener to the podcast, uh, you're familiar with Kevin. He has been uh, the most frequent guest slash host that we've had here on the show outside of Jed and myself. The reason that I wanted to have Kevin on today was to dissect the NHRA Lucas Oil Series points chases as the season winds to a close. As we record this, there are only five events remaining on the NHRA calendar at which sportsman racers can earn points, three national events, two divisional events. And I thought it was odd because if you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that I'd love to nerd out on this stuff, right? I, I'd, I'd like to take deep dives into the points and figure out all the potential scenarios. And this season, I just haven't taken an interest in it really to this point. Like it just, I don't say I haven't taken an interest in it. It hasn't really been on my radar. And I wrote that off initially as well. 
that's just because I'm not chasing it this year and I'm not that clued into it, right? Or the fact that there's, you know, it was all so up in the air as to whether or not they would even crown world champions at one point, much less what the schedules would look like. And it, and it seemed so divergent from division to division and so fluid really throughout the season. It's just hard to get into. I thought that that feeling was unique to me. But I've talked to several racers from across the country over the course of the last few weeks that have basically said the same thing. Like, yeah, I almost feel bad about it, but I'm just not as locked into the NHRA points chases this year. Like, I, I haven't even looked at points. That that was the, the quote that I've heard time and time again. And I don't know what the future brings for the NHRA sportsman classes. I know that these last few division races, the fields have been really light. Like we're seeing five round races in some of the super classes, really five round races in, in most of the categories. And perhaps that's just strictly a, a result of this upside down season and the fact that fewer racers than ever have something to race for this late in the year. Or perhaps, as some have speculated, that's more a result of maybe like the long-term impact of the the NHRA way of life kind of wearing down and, and, and running off a handful of competitors year after year, seemingly. And perhaps it's, um, you know, perhaps it's, it's strictly a result of 2020. Perhaps it's, um, you know, this influx of big dollar bracket racing and the, the buzz around that. Like, that's what we're talking about here on the show for the most part. It seems, for whatever reason, to have taken a little bit of shine away from the NHRA Lucas Oil Series. And I don't know if that will continue or, or, or that stuff will get traction again, you know, in 2021 and, and moving forward. I, I could hear arguments there either way. But I guess the reason that I preface all this with that is to say that I feel bad, almost, I, or I shouldn't say that I feel bad. I want to give credit where credit is due because the racers that have made the commitment to travel and to attend these events in this unprecedented year, right? Well, I mean, let's keep in mind we are dealing with a global pandemic. The racers that are in contention for the NHRA Lucas Oil World Championships, they've earned that. Like, there is no asterisk on these titles. There is no footnote on these top 10 finishes. It's as grueling, and you could probably make the argument more grueling than it's ever been to make this chase. And so I wanted to use this episode to highlight some of those racers and to talk about that pursuit as the season winds down, because I can guarantee you that in these closing events in Houston and in Las Vegas, that pressure that's on those racers staging up for an opportunity to win a national championship, that's not going to be any different than it was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? That's a big, big deal. And I just feel like it is our place here in the sport to shed light on those accomplishments and those opportunities. So that is the the purpose more than anything of this show. In catching up with Kevin, um, we'll also touch base briefly on the Summit ET uh, World Championships, which will be contested at the Las Vegas National Event. That's the NHRA Finals, uh, a little more than a week from recording. So we'll kind of go through the rosters in each of the categories there. I challenge Kevin to uh, predict, maybe not predict a winner, but select a favorite. And, uh, and then we also close the show uh, with some talk on the Million Dollar Race, the original, the OG Million, uh, which is actually... Uh, 
underway as I record this show, and uh, by the time many of you listen, the million itself will be in full effect and may even uh, have crowned a champion. So you'll get to uh, some of our thoughts on the trends in big dollar bracket racing, as well as uh, we each make a prediction for who wins the million dollar race, so stay tuned to the end of the show for that. But first, as always, we will kick things off with our friend, PJ. I'm joined this week's episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast by National Dragster Senior Editor Kevin McKenna. Kevin, uh, no stranger to our audience. Kevin is a, a multi-time guest, a familiar voice here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. But it's been a couple of months, and congratulations are in order. Kevin McKenna, since the last time that we spoke, is now an NMRA world champion. That has a nice ring to it, K-Mac. That's of, of all the bizarre things that have happened this year, I think we found the one that takes the cake, huh? <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that far, but you just add to your, uh, to your resume here, not only the walking encyclopedia of all things drag racing, a world champion to boot. And take me through the scenario, because if I recall accurately, the last time that we talked, you were going to Bowling Green, the finale mm-hmm. of the NMRA series, and uh, you weren't particularly bullish on your chances to win the championship. You, you considered yourself a long shot, right? Uh, because I indeed was a long shot. Um, yeah, we went to uh, the last race of the year. I was three rounds behind, essentially, with four rounds to go, um, which you know basically meant the points leader needed to go out first or second round. I needed to win the race or at least go to the final, depending on how that played out. And it just, I, I guess if you do this long enough, maybe you get one of those weekends where everything just falls into place perfectly. And uh, the way the ladder shaped up, I ended up running him in the second round one and then went on to win the race. And, uh, you know, I knew, was pretty sure that, that the final um, was for the championship and, you know, got lucky there and, uh, just all, all kind of fell together. It's not not really something I ever expected to do, but but I, I, I do think it's um it, it's finally nice that a guy that ten years ago wrote a how to drag race book <laughs> has now actually won something reasonably significant that um it, it hopefully gives that a little credibility where um I'm not just the guy that uh, quote, quoted everybody else when we did the book. So no man, that's awesome. I'm curious just from a from a psychological standpoint. What was the more difficult round? Was it the second round against the incoming leader, or was it the final knowing what was at stake? Well, it's in the interest of totally fair reporting, um, the round, the second round, you know, going into that, I, you know, I knew that was big. It was must win. You know, they all were. Um, he, he actually red-lighted. He, he rolled the beams for, for God knows what reason. Uh, I understand he was maybe having problems with his car. So that kind of ended that drama early. And then... Uh, I also had a red light in the semis, which took some pressure off. Um, although my car ran well, you know, I'd used it as a time trial and, you know, I was two over, so it was where I wanted to be. And then the final, my guy was uh, uh, just horribly late. 
uh, and you know it made that you know one of those things of you know at half track it was like all right there's really only one way you can follow this up don't do it um so you know again as i say when when you have those days where things just fall into place perfectly um th- th- this was one of them you know i mean in my own defense i was 22 in the final and, and making what what i thought was was a competitive run so i'd like to think that i was ready for almost anything but uh it always makes it a little easier when, you know, you get a pretty big cushion. No question. I mean, I, I guess on the racetrack, at least in retrospect, this looks quote unquote easy or you, that's the way you make it sound at least. Mm-hmm. But I know that the butterflies coming into that round have to be pretty significant and the the feeling of ecstasy accomplishment when that wind light comes on has to be pretty dramatic too. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And it's, you know, again, I've covered this sport for, for years, for decades, and never really had that kind of emotion. And uh, to me, the, the, the bigger benefit of that is now you really get a greater understanding of what, you know, the people that I interview regularly, whether it's bracket racers, sportsman racers, even top level pros, you kind of get a little hint of, of what they're feeling on any given day. And uh, it, it definitely adds a different perspective. No question. All right, Kevin, the reason that I wanted to have you on the show this week is I was looking for a good excuse to nerd out. Usually I do this (laughs) well before mid-October. And you looked and said, who's the biggest nerd I know? Let me go through my Rolodex. (laughs) But with me, right? I, uh, I wanted to take a deep dive on the NHRA Lucas Oil points chases in each of the sportsman categories. And as we look at the schedule, I mean, we're very close to the end as of right now. uh, And keep in mind, we're recording this on Thursday night, October 22nd. By the time many of you listen to this, a couple of these will be in the books or at the very least in progress. Uh, If my math is correct, Kevin, there are only five events remaining as of right now at which Racers can earn points towards Lucas Oil Championship. We've got two division races. We've got three national events, at least for the sportsman categories. Uh, and four of those five mm-hmm. events will be contested at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. have Houston this week. And then you're at a whole, whole big party at Vegas for the better part of a month. Um, which, you know, g- given where we, we've come from this year, um, you know, I, I know it's not an ideal situation, but uh, at least I think uh, on the sportsman side and the pro side as well, we, we've got enough events to have a representative champion in, in every category. And, you know, there was certainly a time earlier where we did not know that we'd get to that point. No question. And an interesting twist uh, as we, as we wind down this obviously unique and challenging season is uh, the, we've got two national events this weekend between the, the, the Houston national event, the sports nationals in Las Vegas, the NHRA finals next weekend in Vegas. And then we'll actually follow that up with the final Lucas oil event of the season uh, at the same facility. So the last divisional will actually um, follow the quote unquote NHRA finals. Yeah. Which, which is kind of an unprecedented thing, but you know, that's, sort of the, the theme this year so right yeah nothing is surprising in 2020 okay so the way that i thought i would uh, i would break this up or we would break this up is i feel like there are two categories of competition and you can correct me if i'm wrong because i haven't taken the deep dive necessarily on this there are two categories where it feels like it's over probably not mathematically over at this point just because there are so many races mm-hmm. feels like super comp and super stock are essentially done 
that certainly looks that way. I mean, what, what uh, specifically super comp, uh, what you've seen Christopher Dodd do in the last two weeks is amazing to, you know, to be in contention and then go out and win back-to-back national events. Uh, that's pretty crazy. You know, I interviewed him after the first win in St. Louis and, and he was, um, I, I guess I would say cautiously optimistic. I mean, he knew that was a big win. It, it had, had given him a, a really good shot. He knew he still had a full national to go and was just hoping, you know, I, I really think he wanted something along the lines of a late round finish. And then boom, he goes to Dallas, wins the whole thing, tacks on another 105 points. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and I think to his benefit, you know, we know Troy Williams Jr. was was in contention, and I think that blew Troy out to the point where he – I don't guess he's even going out west. We know he's at the million this week, not going to Houston. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me, I think he's probably abandoned ship on uh, on the points chase, so that's one less guy that he even has to worry about. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think we're in pretty good shape there. And um, Superstock probably a little bit of the same with uh, – Brian Warner set to join his brother uh, potentially as a champion. Yeah. He really distanced himself from the field at that double divisional event in Virginia about mm-hmm. a month back with a win and a runner up. And yeah. again, I, I believe I was told that, uh, that Brian is out West in Vegas. I'm not even sure that he needs to be. It feels like this is pretty well done. Um, right. Circling back on Christopher Dodd. I had, uh, I'd kind of focused a little bit on the super comp chase a few weeks ago because it got really intriguing. Uh, Ray Ray got hot at the, uh, mm-hmm. like gateway drove really well. I think it was a semi and a win at the two races. And all of a sudden the, the reigning national champion is right in the mix. You've got Troy Williams jr. One of the most illustrious, uh, sportsman racers of all time. And the, the young upstart, Christopher Dodd, who at that point had had a tremendous season. He'd won three NHRA divisional events. And I actually yeah. know, like, it's one of those three. It's one of that trio. And it's going to be so fun to watch um, because of their unique skill sets. And just uh, Dodd, I guess, on paper would have been the underdog at that point just from name recognition. But if you've been around mm-hmm. all or been around Division Four, like, I had, I had, I'll take, I keep taking credit for this. It was three or four years ago. Mm-hmm on the podcast that Christopher Dodd would win the Super Comp World Championship, like the very beginning, you know, our, our draft pick. Right, right. So I was a few years premature, but obviously the young man has a ton of talent. And then just in, in basically two weeks' time, now it's over. Dodd goes out, wins the St. Louis National, yeah. wins the Dallas National event, and has now five NHRA Wallies for the season. Yeah. I- how truncated or how quote unquote abnormal the season is. If you win five events, you're probably going to be the world champion. And he had yeah. 38 points or something like that. Sure. And, and if you take this uh, for, actually for both of them, right. Uh, Dodd has 638. Warner has 636. They're both sitting on three national and six divisional races. If you took that score in a non COVID year, you'd still be almost golden. You know, you and I have had discussions about 700 point seasons well, if, if those two guys had the opportunity to race more and, and you know, have a full roster of, of six, eight, as, as most do, um, I think you're probably headed in that direction. You know, as it turns out, it doesn't look like either one of them will need it. But, you know, uh, again, you know, they, they both, you know, I mean, Chris Dodd has been to three national events. He's won two of them. And I think he, he's got, what, a quarter or semi at the third. And as you pointed out, three divisional wins. Um, you know, again, he probably doesn't need to go out west, but if he does, I think he's cleaning up a first or second round. So 
you know, even a quarterfinal there would put him high 600s. And, and, you know, as we know, in most years, that's typically enough. Uh, as long as Peter's not chasing the championship, it's usually enough to get it done. <laughs> yeah, just looking at his ledger here, he's actually could stand to improve a first rounder at a national. And I assume he's in Houston this weekend. So that, mm -hmm. that score could bolster even more. <clears throat> and if he was to go out West, which again, I don't think at this point is a necessity, it looks like he's improving a second round loss on the division side as well. So still opportunity for more in a, in a total that I don't, I don't think is going to be eclipsed. I know just glancing through it on paper, if you wanted to look at long shots in Supercomp, I think Val Torres has a realistic shot, but it would be those four races in Vegas. I, I think he has to win. I think only three can count for him and he would have to win two or go really deep. At three. Yeah. And, and if I, I, I know we modified the points and, and I'm trying to remember, did, did we go to your best five of seven divisionals? I think. Limited on yeah. on uh, one less divisional and one less national, so it's best three, yeah. best five of seven. So so that you know, uh, that doesn't favor a guy who's chasing right now. <clears throat> Good point. Good yeah. point. All right. So the way that I kind of broke this up, those are the two classes where it, it essentially feels like it's over, um, barring just mm -hmm. some miracle or or ridiculous run uh, late, particularly at Vegas. The other two kind of categories that I broke this into is where the, the favorites and or contenders uh, are, are relatively clear, but still have work to do. And then the third, where it really gets fun, is a couple of classes that just feel completely wide open now with only five races left <laughs> on the schedule. Let's start where the, the favorites and or contenders still have work to do. This top dragster battle has gotten interesting. Yeah, it, it wasn't interesting, I would say, a month ago. I think you, you looked at it as, you know, uh, I think Anthony was cruising towards his, uh, uh, you know, a, a possible title, but, uh, you know, here comes Danny Nelson. And uh, I think uh, you look, I'm looking at the points now and I see Art Hoover, um, you know, less than two, two rounds behind. Uh, there's certainly some room for movement there. Yeah, no, I had Anthony Bertozzi absolutely penciled in like a month ago. I didn't even pay attention to Top Dragster. I had, I didn't realize that it was close. And to that point, like Danny Nelson lost the round to take the lead last weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he staged for the final round of Top Dragster opposite Scott Barker, which, by the way, both of them, I think they were 10 and 11 thou package in the semis. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Barker comes back and lays down 9 thousandths total again in the final to deny. Danny Nelson, if, he, if Danny wins that round, he takes the national points lead. Without the win, with the runner-up, he still has a shot, but now he's got to travel mm -hmm. the and, I believe, make the final again now to overtake Anthony. Yeah. Who, who has, a, who has a 11 thou package and says to themselves, I need to tighten it up a little here going into the final. It might not be enough, right? Everyone at the, at the million? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I try a top drag extra on the long track? Yeah, I don't think that's common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, Bertozzi, probably if you're laying odds on this, I would say he's still the favorite, but he can't rest comfortably here. As we said, Danny Nelson has a shot. Art Hoover probably has the best chance uh, going to Vegas. Yeah. can earn points at a couple of races yet. Right. And, and, and uh, you know, I see Anthony is done. He, he cannot add another point. Um, you know, do you go out there to, just for the purpose of blocking? Uh, be, be my guess. Um, yeah, Art, yeah, that's has, interesting events and and top director is being contested at the regular vegas national so we will have two opportunities he's improving a second rounder 
Oh, and a first rounder. Mm. And only needs, well, I say only. He needs two win lights, basically. He needs 37 points. So, yeah. yeah. got uh, There's some meat on the bone there. I would say Anthony's still the favorite, but again, uh, mm-hmm. that's that one's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Another one that uh, seems... Uh, narrowed at least, but still very much up in the air. Stock Eliminator, is this the year mm. Thang finally gets that NHRA World Championship? He looks like the favorite on paper. Yeah, uh, you know, as, as you know, when we're looking at it, he has a full national left to score. Uh, he's 36 points back. So, you know, he, he will pick up 30 of those points uh, just by entering. Uh, you, you like his chances to, to, to turn on a, a couple of win lights, you know, and again, with, with two opportunities to do it, I don't, don't believe he's entered at Houston, um, but, you know, he, he would almost certainly run the two Vegas races uh, for, for nationals and, um, and he still has a divisional that he can claim and not really sure what he's. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. He's improving. Uh, obviously his next national counts full. And then he's improving a first round. A first round, yeah. And he's improving a second rounder at the divisional. So with three opportunities for a driver of the caliber of Jody Lang at a facility where he has traditionally had a lot of success, um, like say, I, it's it's not a given by any stretch of the imagination. And Candies, I'm sure, is in Houston, potentially mm-hmm. going to Vegas, um, can improve nationally on a second round and a third round so Mm -hmm. moving target as well um and then you've got a handful of other racers that are gonna be in the mix here um just looking at it parker devore has a shot slate Cummings still has a shot if he goes west steve juan is up there uh, and will be at i would assume all four races in las vegas um yeah i mean and the points total is not astronomical in stock so even if you went down beyond the top 10 top 20 there's probably 50 racers that still have a mathematical chance at stock eliminator yeah but but would, would this year just throw us a bone and let jody lang run say brett candies you know a a, a 12 second car against a, a low nine second car one run for the title somewhere in vegas that would be fantastic absolutely and <laughs> I think it's it's a testament to to Jody and really his body of work over what the last two and a half decades, but it would be something for this to be the season that he finally broke through and got that national championship because I don't know exactly how this falls, but just logistically, three months ago I would have thought there is no chance for anyone from Division Six to claim a world championship this year. Like I just yeah that to get enough races and obviously he's been able they've been able to get races in on that side of the country and he's been able to to make the events needed to make this run and potentially has won more rounds than anyone else in the process it'd be it'd be special and and i think good for the sport in a, in a way to see jody lang finally capture that and i think it would be remarkable for it to be in this crazy 2020 year yeah and, and he's only run two events in his home division um, he ran the, uh, you know, his home event, the points meet in Seattle, and uh, he ran the Boise um, points meet. And everything else has been a Division Seven event because I believe they've only had four races in all of Division Six this year. So, you know, to your point, um, it, it, that's a pretty tough hurdle to climb for anybody in that side of the country. And, you know, we, we've gone over this time and time again. I've interviewed Jody many times to, to discuss – his proficiency at racing a slow car. And it's just, 
you know, I think anyone who, who races will tell you it's a difficult thing to do. And in stock specifically, it's gotten more difficult now that the cars are faster and faster. You know, there was a time when he basically had to deal with some low 10 second cars, occasionally a fast A car that went nines. But now with the flood of new cars, you know, he, he runs 850 cars and quicker all the time. And you're doing that in your station wagon that, that runs, I don't know, what, 1280s at, at, on, in good air, it cracks 100. Um, and, and he just, he, he obviously has a system that works and uh, he, he's, you know, he's ridden it to a lot of success. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out this year. And you just think about the, the versatility throughout his career, just in stock eliminator. Cause he's, I mean, he's run that car for as long as I can remember, but when he started in stock, he was deep staging. Like that was, yeah. out. And, and let's face it. If you were, if you or I were to enter a high 12, low 13 second, uh, you know, essentially foot brake car, we would deep stage. Like that would be the easiest way to go about this. Right. Uh, uh, I, I reached a 10 second car and I deep stage it. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and you just said that, that's been, uh, you know, two plus decades ago that that was no longer legal. He had obviously adapted quickly. Uh, I, I assume it's still like this. Like it's got the, the, the donut tires on the front mm-hmm. get a light. And then at, to your point in more recent years, the last, decade maybe just the last five years where the factory stock cars have gotten more and more um uh, abundant in the category now he's going from he's always been the slower car but by 10 20 25 mile an hour like the way that those cars charge on the top end he's sometimes 50 these days right yeah so yeah it's just impressive stuff to watch him continue to do what he does at a high level and with all of that praise i'm sure that we've jinxed him but I just, from a personal bias standpoint, I hope this is the year. Well, and, and, and here's another little known fact of, of, of I, I think Jody's won 29 or 30 national events now. Uh, I believe the first one was in super gas. So, I, you know, he, he's, you know, uh, he, he doesn't do it anymore, but you know, he's got some skills in, in index racing as well. He's got skills period. Yeah. Yeah, he does. All right. Let's switch over to competition eliminator. It, Again, I would say that the, the clear-cut favorite at this point, Craig Bourgeois, uh, but this is far from over. Um, he's not sleeping easy either. either. Uh, contenders include Chase Williams, Joe Mozeris, Doug Ingle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, uh, what can we expect from comp? Well, it, it, it's funny. It's my understanding. I know Doug Ingle's great crashed the car there in St. Louis and, and was back in action in Dallas, I believe. Yeah, I see that Aaron points at Dallas. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so that you know, that would be qu- quite a uh, quite a comeback story if if you know, uh, you know, if that were to happen. I'm not sure. Comp is really wide open. You know, again, Bourgeois has got a very good car. He can run um, in. Uh, uh, you know, he's obviously running Houston. That's not really a home event, but it's his home division. So you like his chances of maybe adding some points there. Um, otherwise, it's, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm actually just scanning here. Yeah, I've seen Chase Williams with a full national. Mm-hmm. That's probably, you know, to, to me, anyone at this time of the year that's got a full national or even a full divisional, you know, to, to know going in, you're, you're, you're tacking on. 30 points, hopefully more, you know, obviously potentially 95 if you happen to win the thing. Um, that, that would give him a, be just enough to get it done, right? Yeah, I mean, looking at, at Bourgeois' ledger, 
He's got two national events left at which to improve. Mm-hmm. Improving two first-round losses at national events. So the ball is in his court. I mean, he's got a five-round lead right now. Yeah. It's the opportunity to earn points both at Houston and at Vegas, improving a first-round loss at both. Uh, I, I think he's the favorite. But at the same time, you mentioned Chase Williams still has a full national um, plus would at his next national event would be improving a second round loss, assuming that he does better than that at Houston. So there's room there. Uh, Joe Mozaris in a, in a similar situation, uh, got 40 less points right now, but can earn points at two nationals and a division race. And he's improving a first round and a third round nationally and a, well, I guess he would only be improving the first round nationally because he can only get four in and a second round divisionally. So uh, there's, uh, plenty of meat on the bone for each of those guys, but the opportunity is probably there. Although I would say at this point, Bourgeois at the very least controls his own destiny with two races left to go. Yeah, and, and if you're looking at just some of the minute things, you know, I haven't looked lately, but the forecast for Houston, I think it's going to be fairly warm. Um, I don't think that will be a mineshaft race as it potentially could have been in late October. So that probably spares uh, a guy like Bourgeois really, you know, killing his index and then having to go out. Uh, to potentially to Vegas at a disadvantage, you know, anything he takes there would probably be minimal. So again, I, I think that probably works in his favor. You know, if, if you were there and you were going to have some sea level air where you could run, mm-hmm. you know, 75 or 80 under it, it, you know, potentially could be different. The complexities of competition eliminator. It's, it's short for complicated. What can you speak to in terms of bourgeois combination like i don't remember him making repeated trips to vegas is that a combination that should be just as competitive out there you know uh, it's a good question it's it's a fuel injected small block you know the the, the standard rule of thumb and comp is that um you know the smaller engines don't you know without a power adder they don't run well in thin air but again that's kind of a unique combination it's fuel injected it's on methanol mm-hmm. so um you know, uh, there probably is an effect. Uh, he probably wouldn't have as big an advantage there as he might at a sea level track, but I don't think it, it's, um, you know, t- too much to overcome. Sure. Certainly not for a car that good. And, and, and we've seen him when he's on, um, you know, his driving's fairly impressive. Uh, I've seen him cut a lot of good lights. No doubt. And it seems, I mean, I know that that's part of the challenge in competition eliminator, but he always seems to rise to the occasion. Like when he needs to be good, he seems to come up yeah. below with great regularity. And it's almost just from a, a strictly uh, mechanical rollout perspective. Mm-hmm. Craig, Craig Bourgeois, Jody Lang, Jody Lang, polar opposites. You got yes, the, yeah. right. ever seen smallest front tire you've ever seen on a station wagon on Jody Lang's stock eliminator car, the largest dragster front wheel tire combination that you've ever seen on Craig Bourgeois front engine nostalgia competition eliminator car. That thing looks like it's off of a 10 speed bicycle. I mean, it's, it's up to my waist. Yes. All right. So the two, I think classes that are going to be perhaps the most fun to track over the course of the next three weeks are the two that seemingly are wide open. And I think the, the widest of wide open is in the 990 category. We talked earlier, Christopher Dodd and Brian Warner essentially having their categories wrapped up with 630-plus point seasons. Current mm-hmm. in Supergas, Jason Kenny, 
530 points, 100 less. And you can just kind of quick do the math there. There's a lot of parity in super gas. There's literally, yeah, would guess uh, 50 to 100 racers with a mathematical shot at winning this. Kenny is in the lead, mm-hmm. definitely not a comfortable lead, but who knows? Like what he's got might hold up. Um, yeah, yeah. Can we expect in super gas? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, it was only the other day that I realized that uh, Jason Kenny had had won it off, which I guess it must have been his runner-up in Rockingham that that got him the lead. Um, and it just kind of shows you where uh, where we've come from, where you have a different leader, it seems like, almost every week. You know, once we got to the middle of summer and, and you started accumulating, you know, we started having enough events to accumulate points. You just look at this. It, it's been all jumbled and uh you know again it's an interesting deal where how many guys are willing especially the east coast guys are willing to make a trip out west now the advantage is you can run multiple events but it still is a long trip cross country for the possibility of you know uh, of you you know but again you you might be 40 50 other guys that you have to outlast Uh, kind of an interesting dynamic that goes along with the theme for this year no question. I, I mean, looking through this, like, I don't, the Iggy Boyshesko being one, like, I don't know that they are planning on making the trip to Vegas. His daughter, Amanda, is also top 10, like, might have a, 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 a mathematical shot at the world in Super Comp. Maybe that influences that decision. Like, Iggy's got two national events at which to improve a first round and a second round. And right now, sits uh 70 points out of the lead like that's yeah you know i don't know if that justifies a trip to las vegas from they're they're new york right pennsylvania Uh, they're pennsylvania yeah so i i don't know if that justifies that but like that's a legitimate shot as i break this down like i say jason kenny is in the lead the names that jumped out to me that uh you just know are name racers capable racers that have several events left at which to improve and are close currently uh, austin williams is probably the biggest name uh, mm-hmm. i don't even know that he's been running super gas this year but he has put together a top 10 score driving buddy woods uh roadster val torres who we talked about in super comp is still having a mathematical shot uh, he's got a good chance in super gas with a lot of races left uh, at vegas um mike boehner's got a shot coming off of that uh, double victory that he had in phoenix and you just go down like given the points well, total and given yeah, I, four races remaining i mean if somebody got hot somebody that's completely off the radar right now i mean it, it takes 540 points to take the lead right now if you win three races that's 315 like if you showed up at four others you, you know i mean it, it's yeah right but but i gotta like jeremy Demers sitting there in 12th with a full national to claim yes he's he's more than 100 points back but as you just said, you can make that up in one event. And I would imagine, just because I know he's been out there before, I'd imagine Jeremy's sitting in Vegas right now. Wouldn't mess with Houston. He'd get all the races he could. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that's interesting, uh, obviously they limit car counts at the Vegas Nationals, at least the, you know, the Camping World Series event. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a provision that if you are in contention for the championship, you can enter, you know, whether grade points don't, don't matter. Well, if, if you have 50 guys that, that are sitting here saying, Hey, uh, you know, I could potentially win this. I want to enter. I don't think we would get to 129 car field to make it 115 point race, but 
we've seen stranger things like that happen for sure. It will be a big field. You know, it will be, if, if the, if the quota is 65, you're probably looking at 80 to 85 um, on the grounds uh, would be my guess. Yeah. I think that's fair because I, I would think that two dozen plus, Supergas competitors could legitimately look at this and go, I got a shot. I got to be there. Uh, yeah. Just scrolling down the list, uh, another name that was familiar from last season, Brian Presler fought uh, Ray Miller III down to mm-hmm. the, for the Supercomp Championship. He's got a legit shot in Supergas as well with a bunch of races to claim out in Vegas. Uh, got plenty of work to do, but the opportunity is there for him. Like I say, you could go through and, and rattle off dozens of names in Supergas, but those are some that really jumped out to me, and this will be fun to watch. Yeah, go, go, go down to uh... – Thing. Uh, see the guy Ryan Siffering, who I think was runner-up to, to Dodd at uh, St. Louis, uh, or he was runner. You know, he's got one national, mm-hmm. and he's sitting on three eighty-two. <laughs> right. So, so he, he can add sixty points just by showing up. Um, you know that that gets him in the in the you know four forty range. Uh, you know, can can, can you make up hundred points in two races? Absolutely. Sure. You, you don't really you don't really even need to run the table to do it. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's someone who right now is in the 30th place. So in the next two weeks, you could see somebody go from 30th to first. We, we, we almost should have an over under for, for, you know, current position of, of champion. Yeah. And, and, and it wouldn't, if we had a pool, it wouldn't bother me to get somebody below 10 or 15 right now. Just take the under, just take the under. <laughs> what about, how about this? How, how about the, the, the points total, the actual points number that wins the championship. I, I would assume you'd go over Jason Kenney's current 537. I think that has zero chance to, to hold up, given the number of racers that can do it. it it's, it. it's almost sheer mathematics where if even half of the people who are eligible show up, some of them are going to race each other. And, and just by the, the law of large numbers, you're going to see one or two of those people go, go late rounds. Mm-hmm just because you're going to run other guys that are in points contention. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost inevitable. You know, it's rare that you would see, you know, if, if there's 80 cars at the Vegas national and 25 of them are championship contenders, it, it would be almost unheard of for all of them to go out early. So if I'm Jason Kenny, I know that I need more points before uh, uh, I even think about a championship. Yeah, and he's got the opportunity to do that as well. He's got uh, one national event left there in Vegas, uh, so mm-hmm. that may come this weekend at the Sports Nationals. Yeah, and, and and you can't you can't headhunt that many guys yourself, right? You you can you can go out there as a blocker, but you need to know who you're blocking. <laughs> Right. The other category that uh, feels wide open and is super intriguing is top sportsmen. And you, you don't have to look far down the list in top sportsmen. You just take the top three right now. The top three in the national standings are separated by 12 points. That's just over a round. And each of them can count full the national event in Houston this weekend. They're all three there. It's Darian Bosch. It's Ron Regal. It's Alan Firestone. And they're not the only three that have a shot. Uh, lurking, Joe Rubicek, who will be at all the Vegas races out west. Ed Olpen has a great shot. will be at the mm-hmm. Vegas out west. Um, if you wanted to go dark horse, uh, there's two racers, uh, Bob Galitti and Matt Driscoll, familiar name. Uh, kind of like Austin Williams and Supergas, uh, the casual fan may not even realize that Matt Driscoll has a top sportsman car these days. Yeah. He has put together a stellar divisional score, as has Galitti. Neither one of them have been to a single national event. Now, the way that the schedule falls, they couldn't even make the quota of three, but they've 
put together enough rounds that if they were to go really deep at two, there's a shot. Uh, so Top Sportsman feels pretty wide open as well. Well, now here's my understanding, and I could be wrong on this because I haven't followed it as well as I could, but um, the, the Atlanta final that was run in Gainesville, uh, I believe Darian Bosch still is scheduled to run Sandy Wilkins. Now, oh, um, the, now my understanding on that is that they could not agree on a time and a place to run. I guess Sandy didn't want to travel. Darian wasn't going to go to Rockingham. Uh, so my expectation is that Darian gets a buy run sometime this weekend in Houston, and they run that as the final. Oh, so you're going to add 11 points to his total. No, you, I mean, right now, that's the Atlanta National event? Yeah, it's the, right. technically it's the Southern Nationals that was run in Gainesville and will now be completed in Houston. So Now he's got 64 on the quota. Like, that's an 85-point win. That's a 21-point swing. Oh, so it'll be 21, yeah, because um, that, that was, I believe, a short field. That's huge, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so once he makes that run, uh, he goes to 473, which makes it a little – tougher for somebody to go around him and then obviously if he does anything significant uh, at the Houston National um, then he could you know he could well be you know above 500 by the end of the weekend right and could still have the opportunity to improve one more division race if he went mm -hmm. out Vegas looks like he's improving a second rounder so mm -hmm. okay with, with armed with that information it looks like Darian is the favorite but certainly not sleeping easy um, no, not when you have the two guys behind him also have full nationals to claim. Right. And another one, kind of in a similar boat to what we just talked about with, uh, with Iggy, John Benoit has, an, has a massive score in top sportsman. Uh, the trip from Vermont to Las Vegas, I don't know if that's tenable. I didn't see his name on the entry list, uh, but that's one. If he made the trip, he's absolutely a player in this thing too. Yeah. That's a, that, that's about as far as you could go and still be in the U.S. I think. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I suppose Maine to San Diego or, or Seattle to Key West would be the. But but you're you're talking some pretty serious geography there. No question. It was uh, brings to mind late at the uh, the Great American Guaranteed Million at Memphis, probably seventh ish round. We had a matchup between Kyle Coltrera and Greg Hicks. And that's Elliott, Maine versus Las Vegas, Nevada, meeting kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like I just thought that's, that's sportsman drag racing at a high level right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so fun stuff. Uh, we're going to obviously track this over the course of, I would say, this weekend should, uh, should clarify it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Next week, uh, well, actually, this weekend should clarify it a lot because you get one of the divisionals, two of the nationals, basically. Yes. Um, and then you have one national event next week, uh, and then the season-ending Lucas Oil event at Vegas the week following. I would say, well, give me the over-under. How many classes are not decided until that final Lucas Oil event? I would think at least two, yeah. given, given the number of, uh, especially the super gas thing. I just don't see that. Right. That, that might come down to the final round of the final event. Mm -hmm three weeks from now in Vegas. Uh, it, it's entirely possible that one goes the distance and, and, and certainly one more, you know, the, the stock deal seems kind of up in the air, you know, even comp um, has some potential to drag out a little longer. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I would think safe, safe to say two or three of them are still undecided uh, 10 days from now. Love it. That's the drama that I love in this stuff. Um, 
All right, so I've got, I've got, I didn't prep you for this at all, so I apologize, and maybe we do some follow-up. Here it comes. <laughs> Jed and I talked about this briefly last, I think it was last week. The season that James Kunkel's put together in Supercomp, really impressive, even more impressive when you see how he's doing it, right? In mm-hmm. a with the top end stop, he now has three divisional wins. Uh, given the, the exploits of Christopher Dodd, it doesn't look like James Kunkel is a serious contender for the national championship, but he's almost certainly going to finish in the top 10. Mike, yes. for you, and again, this may take a little bit of research, but I, I'm curious if you could guess who is the last door car driver to finish in the national top 10 in super comp points. That's Ooh. been a while. That's, it's pretty rare. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. There's not a name that sticks out, uh, um, off the top of my head. I wonder, well, you're giving me my homework assignment. Um, I threw out a couple of guesses last week, and I'm probably wrong. I, it, it, see, it feels like Ken Mostowicz should have done it at some point. Like he's the one door car guy that seems to be in contention in the mix year after year. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there, just, there just aren't many who even chase points at this, at this point. Correct. And then um, way back, like when I was a kid, I remember Jimmy Lewis doing it. And I want to say my buddy Daryl Goza did it, but that's like 25-plus years ago. I, would, uh, I think Regis LePage, the, the pickup truck. Yeah, had, had a pretty good run in probably the the early two thousands, right. um, but did that, I, 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 Mike Henderson's a former Supergas World Champion. I want to made a deep run in like a top sportsman style Camaro and Super Comp one year. He might have gotten in there as well. That one just popped into my mind. So yeah, fun little research project for you, K Mac. Wow. Well, I, I, I'm gonna. See, see, I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to do. When I get to Houston tomorrow, I'm going to track down Brian Loans and Alan Reinhardt and uh, pretty much guarantee with the three of us by the end of the weekend, we'll have an answer. So Get the brain trust on it. I love it. Yeah. You, you have a think tank there and uh, we, we, we kick back and forth ideas and statistics and uh, tr- trivial bits of information like this. It's uh, hard to believe you can actually make a living at this stuff, but but we do. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to uh, the, the professional category season conclusion and uh, the, the sportsman categories, and the Lucas Oil categories, NHRA uh, finals in Vegas, not this coming weekend, but next weekend. Uh, in addition to that, we've got the NHRA Summit ET Finals World Championship runoffs. This is the eight-car runoffs that are typically saved for Pomona. Obviously, this year a little bit different headed to Vegas. We've got all of the contestants from divisions all around the country that'll be converging upon Vegas. I've said for a couple of weeks, I, I'm super excited to watch the pro ET category just because of the names in it mm-hmm. from to bottom. Um, we've, we've covered each of the ET finals to some extent here, so we don't necessarily need to go back through results, but looking over the rosters, like I'm just curious, um, give me stories that stand out or maybe, uh, your picks perhaps in, in each of the categories as we head to Vegas, we'll start in super pro. Well, you know, it's fine. I I do not uh, have a roster in front of me. Um, So I don't really have the information for that, but if you want to throw a little information out there, I think we could probably. Okay. um, So super pro, the division one representative, Robbie Boyd, division mm -hmm. two, Billy Highhouse, division three, former NHRA world champion, uh, Devin Eisenhower, 
Division Four, Billy Simpson. Division Five, Larry Piper, who has been to the World Finals before. He was actually mm-hmm. runner-up in the first one 20 years ago. Um, Division Six, Ken Sueo. Division Six also has the wild card, so they'll send uh, Tom DiBartolo as well. And Division Seven, David Meyer. Yeah. Uh, a couple of interesting stories there. You know, obviously Devin Eisenhower, a, a super gas world champ two years ago, uh, won here in Indy. You know, it's his home track, uh, tends to do really well here. Uh, I know that like a lot of guys who win the summit thing was a little surprised and a little disappointed to find out he could not go out there and double enter. But, uh, you know, I, I think once you explain it, that, that it's, it's a competitiveness and a fairness issue, I think most people understand. Um, also, one, one that I was familiar with, uh, I, I don't know this guy, but High House that won in Division Two, uh, they run their ET Finals eighth mile, and it was a ridiculous package to win. I, I, I think he was 5,000 total against 9,000 total, I think. It, it, it was something that, that would have uh, – it would have looked good at, at you know, a $50,000, $100,000 race. Um, you know, so we've obviously seen that level of competition come to uh, the divisional – and Summit Series events as well. No question. I think uh, if you just looked at the names on the list, I would say Devin Eisenhower is the most recognizable name as a, as a former NHRA Supergas World Champion. Um, I think you could argue that David Meyer out in Division 7 has had the best season. That kid has just killed it all year uh, on the big dollar scene and, and locally out there, top ball, bottom ball, whatever. Um, it would just be icing on the cake for him to win this world championship. Um, and then you've got Piper with the experience. Like, I think that's worth a lot at a race like that because that's such a unique atmosphere. I realize it's been two decades ago, but you got a guy that – and he's been there with his son too. Right, right couple of times like you just knowing what to expect and to some extent what that feels like i think that's probably some type of advantage but if you're asking me to pick a winner i'm gonna go complete homer here i'm gonna go with awesome bill from kennedale texas just because i grew up watching him do what he does and he's really good at it so billy simpson Mm -hmm. pro and this is this is gonna be as fun a three-round race as you've ever seen just because it is legends and haymakers after it's it's going to be haymaker after haymaker from across the country so our representatives from division one marty flegel division two phil green division three Derek adams who i watched just put on an absolute show at the et finals in indy i mean like six of the eight rounds his worst light was like five and his worst package was like ten uh from division four jeff heffler making what i believe is his seventh appearance in the in the <laughs> world championship runoff uh i think i read it was his ninth et finals division four et finals championship this year which is just there's are two ridiculous numbers um division five jason charlton plus the wild card brandon schmall brandon will join his brother andy schmall who will be the division six representative those two are two of the most recognizable bottom bulb names in the country and then the division seven rep robert glass um, hitter after hitter after hitter there. Uh, any thoughts or predictions there? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's cool to see the, the small brothers. Um, you know, I'm trying, I don't know that we've had that happen. Um, have a set of brothers come out. But, but then, I mean, really, you have to talk Heffler. When, when you, um, you know, as you mentioned, this event is, is so different. And for, for guys that don't, run national events uh 
you know, you get out there and you're, you're, you're at the big show, you know, and, and even though this year is different, it's still the big show. You're still on the same track as the nitro cars. You're still doing things like driver introductions. There's still going to be fans in the stands, even though probably not capacity, the atmosphere is totally different from what you're used to. Well, when you get a guy who's been out there nine times, he's not going to bat an eye. Um, so, and, and you know, and he's not just been out there nine times, but I know he's gone out there and cashed a couple of times. Yeah, absolutely. I think two or three national championships to this point. Yeah. That's obviously an advantage, but you put in the Schmalls. They've both been there. I think uh, yeah. been once and won it. Uh, Andy's been twice, I believe. It was in his younger days. It's been years ago. Um, like that, that field is just incredible. I, and it's hard for me to say this as much respect as I have for Jeff Heffler, but how much success Andy Small particularly has had at that facility over the last three years. I think if you're going to put gun to my head and say, pick one, I think I'd pick Andy. Hmm. Sportsman class. This one will be good too. Uh, Division one rep in sportsman, Joe McLaughlin, big name. Uh, Division two, Trey Sykes, who we talked about a little bit off air, another big name. Uh, Linda Ratliff from division three. Division four is Justin Cervantes. Division five, Luke Siebert, big name. Division six, uh, Adam Lint. And division seven, you've got Udo Richter, as well as the wild card out of D7. That's uh, Rob Vegesa, I believe. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you mentioned, Siebert is, is probably the most recognizable name there. Uh, probably had the most success. But. Yeah. That's McLaughlin's a big name out of out of PA as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you though. Like I just given, I just know that that Luke has competed on some big stages and some big spots throughout his career. Like I, and just the way that he approaches things, like he's just one of those that that stuff seems to roll off his back. Like I, I'm not saying that he'll go win. I just Sieber, to me, I put in a similar class with the Schmalls with Jeff Heffler is like you're going to have to beat them. Like they're not going to go out there and be a prisoner of the moment and make a mistake. Like they're going to go. Right. Uh, I, well, and, and, and you and I talked about this. Uh, this is fascinating to see how this will play out. Trey Sykes out of division two races a front wheel drive Dodge Omni. Uh, he was dialed 1098 in the final eighth mile. <laughs> we're going to stretch that out. Now, we're going to take it to Vegas. <laughs> what, right. What is that car? If he takes that car to Vegas, which I don't know how much he loves the car or wants to tow, you know, 5,000 miles round trip to do it. But if you take, what will that car run quarter mile in Las Vegas? Probably a high 17 second car. Uh, you know, and again, it's, you know, you, you, as Jody Lang proves, you can get it done in almost anything, but um, it's, you're, you're sort of bringing a, a, you know, a pen knife to a gunfight particularly at Vegas, given wind swings and what we've seen happen at that place, like that, that would be a tough hill to climb. Yeah. And, and if you really are in love with front wheel drive cars, Avis has a a whole fleet of them that you could get for about 35 bucks a day. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's, uh, and what's the, the, the fast break in sports on 12 flat, right? I believe it is. Yeah. You could literally see a, what, 40, 50 mile an hour spread there? Oh, sure. Wow. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I wouldn't imagine that most of your 12-0 sportsman cars are used to chasing a whole lot, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> so, all right. So, and then lastly, uh, the bike category. Again, we talked about this a little bit on previous podcasts. Your Division One represent representative is uh, Brian Canoles, I believe is how we say that. Brian won mm-hmm. both the uh, the ET finals and the race champions in mm-hmm. one. Division Two is the legend, the man, the myth, the legend. Roy Hagedorn. Uh, I know that you've got some personal history with Roy. Have as much respect for that man as any. Uh, and he's making what I believe has to be his fourth, fifth plus trip to uh, the CT Finals. Um, Jason Dernach out of Division Three, Division Four's representative Michael Nash. That's another big name on two wheels. Uh, Division Five, Patrick Rowetto. Division Six, Don DePeel. And Division Seven, Tom Medlin. I'm not sure on the wild card for the motorcycles. Uh, the wild card is uh, Robert Meeks from Division Two, who was runner-up in the race of champions to uh, Hagedorn. Um, and it's funny. I've also known Robert for for, for many years. He uh, uh, he's one of those guys that does really well, but it seems like in the big moments he's always the runner-up. So I think it's great for him to get an opportunity to go out there. But uh, again, you know, we know. Michael Nash really wins a lot in Division Four, has won their Sportsman Motorcycle Championship multiple times. Tom Medlin, kind of the same thing out west. But to me, the list begins and ends with Roy Hagedorn. You know, as I was telling you, I don't think there's another human on the planet that has won more first-place titles in, in bracket racing. He's been racing the same bike since the late 70s, has won uh, literally thousands of races, uh, Wow. It just, you know, he's been known to cash two, three times a week. He lives in Florida, so you can race year round. You start to do the math and, and the body of work is just overwhelming. Thousands of races. Like you said that, and it's funny because we've had this discussion before of, you know, you talk about the, the races that have won the most events and Chip Horton comes to mind, John LaBouche comes to mind, uh, Steve Taylor perhaps comes to mind, right? Mm-hmm. I- don't ever bring up Roy Hagedorn in that because I think we just don't think about two wheels and Roy's won right. well right but the vast majority of his wins have come on motorcycles and just been that dominant yeah. that long and I had no idea until you mentioned it pretty much all on the same bike yeah yeah it's it's a you know a very basic small tire Suzuki that uh, he's owned you know my upbringing I grew up at Sunshine Drag Strip in St. Petersburg uh, in in the early 80s and, and Roy was one of the stars there when I was a kid and he's just, he's never stopped racing and he's never stopped winning. It's uh, it's uncanny what he does. Yeah, no doubt. Pretty incredible stuff. I'm just looking up here. All right. So I thought we would touch on briefly. I know you're a company man, NHRA. We did have the, the IHRA um, world championships decided ET world championships decided in Memphis last weekend. I thought we'd briefly run over those and give credit where credit is due. Um, your IHRA top ET world champion. Let me scroll back up here. I lost it. Thanks to, uh, to dragchamp.com for providing the insight here from uh, the IHRA world finals. Gary Shearer from uh, Eddieville Dragway up in Iowa, your IHRA top ET world champion. Mason Hatton, that's a familiar name to me, out of Kentucky. He's your modified world champion. And then Joe Tharp Jr., getting it done in Sportsman. Uh, Madison Fisher, Fisher, also your IHRA junior dragster world champion. So I wanted to briefly highlight those performances as well before, Kevin, we transition into a race that I know is near and dear to your heart, near and dear to my heart. It's going on as we speak. And by the time most of our listeners hear this, 
the big show, the million dollar drag race, the, the OG million, so to speak, Randy <laughs> Folk's original million, um, will have taken place. Uh, we're recording Thursday night. The million is tomorrow on Friday. Um, we had talked at one point about doing like a, an oral history of the million. Maybe that's an off season project we'll get into. Uh, it looks like there's a great turnout once again in Montgomery. Um, just curious your, if you've got any, Jed and I went through like a list of bold predictions basically for this month of unprecedented big dollar races that the million basically uh, caps, right? We went from Bristol to Memphis a week off and to Montgomery. But I'm just curious, you've got any stories that come to mind, bold predictions for the original million in Montgomery? Well, uh, color me surprised because if you had asked me at the beginning of this year, especially when the pandemic hit, will all of these big races happen? Will they all pay what we think they're going to pay? Will the attendance be there? I probably, as you like to say, would have taken the under. I, I just didn't see it happening. And to, to the racers' credit, they're resilient enough. They've supported all these events. Great to hear that Randy has uh, the type of crowd that he expects there. So, so you know, you're going to have another event that pays deep, deep into, into six figures. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. But it, it, the, the thing that amazes me is that for all of the level of competitiveness – you see about four or five of the same names this year that have just done amazing things. And, you know, I know we saw it again last night, uh, Nick Hastings. Uh, who, who, whose luck would you rather have this year, Hunter Patton or Nick Hastings? I, I guess you couldn't go wrong either way, right? Hastings is incredible. Hunter's, Hunter's had a, a, a year for the ages. I mean, if it's not the most dominant season in big dollar bracket racing history, it's certainly the most lucrative. And Hastings, he's just, he's just so steady and he's so methodical, I guess, in his approach. Like he just makes one good run after another, after another. And he had like a, a dry spell, I would say for, by his standards, uh, mid to late summer this season, but it wasn't because he was making mistakes. Like he was just getting beat, making the same runs that he always makes. And you just think inevitably, you know, you, we tell people all the time, you keep doing what you do and eventually that will, that will turn. And it's turned in a big way at the right time, right? He was a semifinalist in the, in the Great American Guaranteed Million off the bottom. Mm -hmm. And then the 50 grander in Montgomery off the top uh, last night. So just incredible display of talent and, again, kind of to be expected. And this is, this is actually something, Kevin, that, that Jed and I got into a little bit last week just with the – it's one thing to see the purse, like from Memphis or from Martin, Michigan at the SFG 1.1. It's one thing to see that purse on paper. It's another to, to be a part of that late because you just think about this. Nick Hastings just won a 50 grander, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know what the split ended up being, but what he won in those 10 rounds of competition, he quote unquote lost probably three to four times over when the wind light didn't come on in the semifinals in Memphis. Right, right. Made six figures in Memphis. You know what I mean? But that yeah. round is a huge disparity. Like, it's just, it's crazy the amount of money that is on the table in these events. And to your earlier point, uh, just speaking on, on this, this four-week swing from Bristol to Memphis to Montgomery, and then you can go back to and include the SFG 1.1 from the summer months in Martin, not only did each of those events happen, which I think you would have made significant money parlaying that in April, right? Not only did they happen, 
by and large, every one of them was tremendously successful, appears at least from the outside to have been extremely lucrative. You had 600, 700 cars in Martin. You had a, a massive showing in Bristol. I think there was uh, right at 500 entries in the little races, 349, I believe, in the million. The Memphis Million was sold out for months and had actually was oversold. I think they had 470 go down the track, um, first round of the million. And just looking from uh, from last night in Montgomery, uh, is between 450 and 500 entrants in the 50 grander. Like it's just incredible to think in this day and age, all that's going on in the world, that there are that many uh, competitive sportsman drag racers that are that willing and have the means to attend races like that especially when they're week after week after week. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting to see that the tide has turned where we went decades where if you didn't have a dragster, you didn't dip your toe in the big money waters. And now I, I think you see people selling dragsters and they're out on the hunt for S10s and Vegas. And, and uh, the, the, the price of Chevy 2s has skyrocketed here in the last three, four, four months. Uh, if you've got one of those in your garage, Hang on to it, or better yet, sell it now because because you're probably not ever going to get a better price. Um, and I think that may well be a key to this, where you know uh, technology has come to the point where you can make almost anything consistent enough to be a good eighth mile bracket car, right? The tire technology is there, the electronics, uh, engine technology, as far as running on alcohol and everything, you can get almost anything consistent enough to, to have a fighting chance. And I really think that's all people want when they go to one of those. No, and it's, uh, I think you could look back and say with some degree of conviction that the best thing that ever happened to big dollar bracket racing over the course of the last decade was that separation of door car dragsters because it literally brought door cars out of the barn, you know, yeah. that, that didn't feel competitive anymore that do. And now, it's almost rare that we see a dragster win these races. You know, I mean, yeah. the, the, the three big events to this point that we've just discussed, all won by Chevy 2s, like low six-second Chevy 2s. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there have been some dragsters that have had sig significant seasons, but it, it, it feels like the trend is actually going the other way. And then you see, too, the, the influx of the, the Pro 32 or the No Box 48 at these events and the success of the racers that are able to come through that. Now... I will say this, watching the Pro 32 slash No Box 38 at these events gives me zero desire to pull the delay box out and compete <laughs> with those guys. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But you watch someone like Nick Hastings, when you go through those five, six, seven rounds, I don't care who pulls up beside you and what kind of delay box they have. Like, that dude is not intimidated. If you can get that field of No Box, I, I think it's as tough a racing as anything. So it's uh, uh, and, and you almost wonder is it is it simple enough to, to suggest that you can build a bracket car now for I don't know, a third the price of a competitive dragster? I mean, really, if you have a Vega that's been laying around, somebody raced it. You know, what are you talking about dollar wise to turn it into a competitive car? Does that typically leave you enough budget where you know if you're not into it for six figures, well? Now you've hopefully got money left where you can actually get out and race the thing and go run some big money races, hopefully make a split or two and keep your program up and rolling. I had a racer, an old friend of mine that I hadn't seen in years come to me at Memphis and say, look, man, seriously, 
with all this money that's that's out there, is there anybody that's actually making money doing this? And I laughed and was like, no, man. Like, you know, the, the, everything goes up across the board and you might have a, a good year or two, but eventually uh, all, all water finds its level or whatever that saying is. But then I thought about it. And to your point, like the way that Scotty Richardson's going about it, if you're trying to make money racing, mm-hmm. Scotty's got it figured out right now. I mean, obviously, it helps to be Scotty Richardson. Yeah, right. But he's driving two, you know, essentially back half door cars that are obviously good equipment, obviously capable of winning, particularly when Scotty Richardson's behind the wheel. But they're not one hundred thousand dollar dragsters, right? They're probably, I don't know, twenty five, thirty, maybe thirty five thousand dollar cars that are as competitive roughly as anything on the racetrack and when you've got the opportunity to race that type of car a fairly minimal investment by today's standards very minimal upkeep upkeep in relation to you know your uh, top sportsman style door car or your or your uh, you know 440 dragster and race for the same purses and if you're able to knock one down occasionally like there is opportunity now probably more opportunity than there's ever been to actually make a profit or, you know, in some cases, perhaps make a living driving mm-hmm. a sports and drag race car. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to anyone, but the, the, uh, the truck, the, the Ford truck that Gage Birch won the half million in, what is that truck worth? You know, what, if that truck were, were sold in the open market, what, what would you expect to pay for that? And, you know, again, we don't have to put a dollar figure on it, but we're probably not talking about a lot of money. And, you know, again, that, that's a tool in the right hands, uh, you know, granted, yeah, not everybody's Scotty, not everybody's Gage Birch, but, you know, we, we've seen time and time again that for a fairly minimal investment, you, you can go out there and, and be competitive. And, you know, it, it's obviously, uh, I hate to use the term easier because it's not, but everybody who's out there can go double O, everybody who's out there can set the car up to run the number. And after that, it, it's, it, it almost becomes a game of chance. And I think that, you, you know, you, you, you've kind of reached the um, point of diminishing returns as far as packages, where if everybody can, can be, you know, 8 to 12 total almost at will, well, then why wouldn't you go to one of those events? Because that certainly, in most cases, is good enough to get it done. And when it's not, you tip your hat, you get back in line, and you try again. Steve Cisco said it best when he came on with us after his – uh, performance for the ages at the SFG 1.1. And he said something to the effect of how many people can say that on back-to-back days in two different cars, they won a race worth more than the car that they were driving. <laughs> and he did that. And, and that's possible in, in 2020. And, and it looks like beyond uh, let's circle back to the million, Kevin, I'll, I'll put you on the spot, but I'll give you a minute to think about it. I want a prediction for the winner of the big show. Now, I told you that uh, Jed and I uh, made bold predictions for the the four-week stretch. Well, one of my bold predictions was that the winner of the OG Million would be a repeat winner. Okay, so I've I've narrowed my choices. Now, I I like my chances, just given the the list of prior winners of the Million Dollar Race. Obviously, I've got Dave Triplett, Kenny Underwood, Gary Williams, each vying for their third. And then you got big names like uh, Ray Ray Miller's there this year. So like, I, I feel like my odds went up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Shane Carr, uh, Jeff Rooks is there. Um, obviously, Troy Williams Jr. on down the line. 
If I had to single one out, though, and keep in mind, I'm drawing from a list of, what, 21 and probably five of those that aren't likely to be in Montgomery or that I don't think are in Montgomery. Um, but if I have to pick one, I'll go with Johnny Bracket Racer and predict Johnny Zell wins his second million. That's, that's a good, good, good pick. Uh, along those lines, the first name that came to my mind was a guy who's been kind of quiet lately, and that's Kenny Underwood. And Kenny's generally not quiet for long. He tends to do some of his best work at that event. Um, and, uh, you know, if, you're, if you want me to pull, you know, one name out of a field of, you know, 300 or so, um, I, I think that's probably where I'm going. Um, and, and probably in the Firebird because he certainly isn't going to win in the Dragster. Right? That doesn't seem to be the trend for this year. <laughs> that would, it would be a nice, it would be a fitting end to this big dollar run if it was yet another door car and we went four for four in the quote-unquote millions all with door cars could it be another chevy too how bizarre would that be if chevy that, 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 that would be I, I'd, I'd go find one tomorrow and and put put a for sale sign on it <laughs> we, had an, we had an all vega final at the warm-up race i don't freaking take my vega to montgomery and obviously i missed the call like it's it's yeah. a race uh kevin rodden over steve cisco the aforementioned steve cisco who drove his uh third door car of the season to a, a big dollar race final pretty impressive stuff from uh, from the man from new jersey all right k-mac that's all i got for you thank you again for coming on congratulations once again on your uh, on your success behind the wheel and i uh, always appreciate mm -hmm. you having on the, having you on the show Love doing it. Uh, let's, uh, as we get into the winter, let's uh, make more of a habit of this. Absolutely, man. Sounds good. All right. Sounds great. Take care. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Com. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Podcast listeners, are you an elite insider? If the answer is no, you should be an elite insider. The Insider is a brief, five minutes or less, guaranteed, bi-weekly video in which I answer one reader-supplied question. The idea? Simple. It's to help you in your quest to become 
the best version of yourself on the racetrack by sharing some of our own insights and experience. Did I mention that it's free? Yeah. Sign up today at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite insider. Again, that's thisisbracketracing.com slash elite insider. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.